there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. You can follow me on social media at E.W. Erickson. You should follow me on Instagram at E.W. Erickson. And, well, you can always text the word show to 33777. Get the podcast links and the daily email with show notes and all of that. Now, I actually want to spend a couple minutes on the phones here before I pivot into other stuff. I'm going to start. Uh, look, it, it's it's the day of the Bobs. I got Bob and Bob on the phone. Bob, number one, I'm going to go to you. Welcome. Hey, Eric, this is Bob. Hi there. Yep. Hey, how, how's your thumb? Uh, you know, it, it doesn't actually hurt anymore. It looks disgusting, but it doesn't hurt. Thanks for asking. Well, well, listen, I want to thank you, first of all, for your voter guide for Georgia. That really helped me with my family. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I called you before talking about money supply and inflation, but um, your discussion this morning about oil, I wanted to, to kind of give a little quick background in oil and economics, a very, very like 30,000 foot view. Economics is very simple because it deals with nothing but scarcity. And from that, you get supply and demand. What's the supply and demand of the product? And you know, when you match supply and demand, you either get price or you get the queue line. Remember Jimmy Carter with waiting in line for gas. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we go to stores today, we're really kind of in a pre-socialism era because we have empty store shelves and queue lines and limited choice. With respect to the oil companies, the way you look at how successful they are is their return on investment. It's not the price of gasoline or a barrel of oil or uh, how much profit they made, It's what's their return on investment. In the last 10 years in my research, oil companies have invested hundreds of billions of dollars a year, usually between four and $800 billion. In that period of time, they've had a loss of 50% on return on investment to a high profit of 40%. But across that 10-year period, their average rate on return was just 5%. Mm-hmm. And... You know, Not as so, big as they would have you believe. It's big in terms of money, but it's based on money contributed. Well, again, if you invest, if you had, I don't know what a billion dollars is, but if I had a billion dollars and I were going to invest it and could only get a 5% return, I would think I could do a lot better. Oh, yeah. yeah. And also, you've, also, we've gone from social investing where you won't buy stock in a liquor company or a tobacco company or a gaming company, but now we have these major investment houses that will not invest because the oil companies are not considered socially responsible since they're polluters. Right. And so there's not capital available for these people to drill. Right. Uh, You know, and the Biden administration, like somebody told me, well, you know, one of the reasons they didn't do ANWR was because Wall Street refused to fund it. And that's right, but it misses the total picture in that it was the White House applied pressure to the firms on Wall Street and the banks that were going to to put up the money for the investment and pressured them to kill it. And so they did. And then the Biden administration said, well, they couldn't get the funding. I guess there's no reason to go forward with Anwar. We'll cancel it. Well, of course they couldn't get the funding because the White House basically told the Wall Street companies, if you do this, we're sticking the regulators on you. Uh, people want to exactly. miss those things. That they, they leave out that stuff. That's very helpful, Bob. Thank you very much for that. People got to pay attention to the whole picture of what's going on here. All right, next, 
the next Bob. Welcome to the program, Bob. How you doing, Eric? Great. Well, first time caller, and I, I'm just uh, I'm retired military, so I've got my own bias. But I heard uh, them talking about uh, the new executive wartime decision to tell the refineries to make more gasoline. And I don't want to get into a discussion about it, but where's he going to get the petroleum to do that? Secondly, he says he's going to release a little bit more strategic reserves. And again, being retired military, we need those strategic reserves for military war fighting if it ever comes to pass. So mm -hmm. if he restricts drilling, wants to increase the gas, How's he going to replenish the strategic reserves? I'd well, be it, really uh, anxious to hear you know, what you have so to say. There's a side angle on this uh, I have learned from talking to friends of mine. Um, you know, when, when people talk about uh, sweet crude, uh, sweet crude versus sour crude, I, I actually didn't realize that there was a sour crude. Uh, sour crude is a high sulfur content oil. Uh, that comes from different parts of the world, including the Gulf of Mexico and Saudi Arabia. And we stock the um, strategic petroleum reserve with sour crude because it's less desirable than sweet crude. So we send the sweet crude straight to the refineries and we put the sour crude in the strategic petroleum reserve. Now, the reason we do that is because it takes more time to refine sour crude than sweet crude. With the Biden administration releasing the strategic petroleum reserve into refineries, the oil that's in the strategic petroleum reserve is the sour crude. Therefore, when they refine it to make gasoline, it slows the whole process down. I honestly did not know that. But again, I, I've got a lot of oil executives uh, who listen to this program or who I know my dad was in, worked for an oil company for my whole life um, and reaching out, asking questions, talking to them, having them reach out. And I had several of them point out this out to me the other day that actually uh, the Biden administration doesn't seem to really understand the extent of what it's doing and how it's actually exacerbating the problem by releasing so much of the strategic petroleum reserve at one time because it's sour crude oil and sour crude oil takes longer to refine and slows down the refining process. I had no idea. Now you and I both learned something from these people and it causes a slowdown in the refinement capacity. I want to move on now. I'll take more phone calls, but I got to talk about a big story. There's a member of Congress you have probably been hearing about lately. His name is Barry Loudermilk. Barry Loudermilk is a Republican congressman from Georgia. I know him. CBS News's uh, news correspondent who is fixated on January 6th has for the past year been following the story of Barry Loudermilk giving a tour of the Capitol on January 5th, 2021, so that the Proud Boys and other insurgents who wanted to storm the Capitol and overthrow the government would find their way into the building. 
This has been a story advanced by Democrats on the January 6th committee. The story goes, as covered by members of the media and as put forward by the January 6th committee, that Congressman Barry Loudermilk of Georgia gave a tour the day before January 6th so that the would-be rioters and insurgents could see where all of the doors and entryway points are, exit points were, paths were, and could learn the route to get into the Senate and the House. And Barry Loudermilk gave them that tour. It's been all over the national press. It has, to some degree, also been in the Georgia press that uh, Barry Loudermilk, they've also made this allegation against Lauren Boebert, but uh, they actually had credible evidence that Barry Loudermilk helped plan this. Scott McFarland is the CBS News reporter. On May 19th, he tweeted, in a letter to Representative Barry Loudermilk of Georgia, House January 6th Committee writes, based on our review of evidence in the select committee's possession, we believe that you have information regarding a tour you led through parts of the Capitol complex on January 5th, 2021. He has, Scott McFarland of CBS News, has repeated the story and covered the story pretty thoroughly over the past month. It has gotten national attention from CBS, ABC, CNN, MSNBC. No one, very few people, I should say, have wanted to defend Barry Loudermilk, the congressman from Georgia. This has been a smear job against a good man. This has been a character assassination by the Democrats of the January 6th Committee and members of the national press. Do you know who's speaking up to defend Barry Loudermilk? the Republican congressman from Georgia, the Capitol Police. That's right. The Capitol Police themselves have responded to the January 6th committee. The Capitol Police have said they reviewed the surveillance. They reviewed the tapes. They followed Barry Loudermilk around. Turns out he was just giving a tour to constituents. If you look at the bags that were supposedly sinister bags, the bags that contained materials and information that would help with the plot to overthrow the government, it turns out it was souvenir bags from the Capitol Visitor Center gift shop. There's no there there. There is no there there. Congressman Barry Loudermilk, if anyone knows him, knows he's a patriot. His children are patriots. I've met his kids. They're a really good family. They are a very good family, good Christian family, a very nice people who are patriots, who love their country. And Barry Loudermilk has been, over the last month, dragged through the national press as some sort of a traitor to the country, would-be rioter and the like. That's simply not true. And... I would like to commend the U.S. Capitol Police for defending Barry Loudermilk and for revealing that, in fact, all of the accusations against him by the January 6th committee are not true. And I would note that Scott McFarland of CBS News, now that this is all public, has not tweeted a single thing about it. I would note that Scott McFarland of CBS News, who over the last month 
has over multiple times, multiple periods, and multiple occasions highlighted the story and cast dispersions on Barry Loudermilk, has not mentioned it once. Barry Loudermilk did nothing wrong. I should also note that this calls into question further the credibility and competency of the January 6th committee. They could have reviewed the tapes. They could have reviewed the surveillance. They could have worked with Capitol Police, and they could have asked the Capitol Police in private for their assessment. Instead, they decided to make it a public spectacle. They decided to shame Barry Loudermilk. They decided to send the mob after Barry Loudermilk. They decided to send the media after Barry Loudermilk. They didn't wait for the Capitol Police to review the assessment and complete a report. And now that the report is done, it's a nothing burger. There is nothing there. There's no there there at all. He did nothing wrong. He was given a tour with constituents. We've seen this pattern repeated with Democrats, with members of Congress who gave tours to constituents who were in Washington at that protest, and they wanted to come by and just check out the Capitol and meet their member of Congress, and their members of Congress and staff obliged, and they've all been smeared by the media. They've all been defamed. They've all been slandered. They've all been attacked, and none of them did anything wrong. The idea from the Democrats that Republican members of Congress helped foment, inspire, and guide the insurrection of the Capitol Hill when there was no insurrection to begin with is all a bunch of BS. Absolutely, some bad people stormed the Capitol, and absolutely, they had ill intent, and absolutely, they need to go to jail, and absolutely, no Republican member of Congress, including Barry Loudermilk, helped them, and to say otherwise is a scurrilous lie, and the January 6th committee and the reporters who have attacked Barry Loudermilk should apologize to him. And now you know the rest of the story. There are a lot of options out there. If you're a self-starter and you want to invest on your own, it can be really confusing. And I'm delighted to tell you about SoFi because that's who I use. And now I've got them as an advertiser. If you're a SoFi user, uh, my gosh, you get all sorts of options, great research. You get the ability to invest in stocks, EFTs, crypto, plan out your retirement. Uh, more importantly, you got people you can call on. I mean, for example, um, I can use SoFi to buy stocks and EFTs and do the deep dive research if I need to and get complimentary financial planners ready to help answer questions. Uh, you can too, whether you're stuck on where to start or need help deciding what to do next. You could even save for retirement with traditional Roth and SEP IRAs. They have so many options. If you're into crypto, you can also explore crypto. They've got 30 available coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, Dogecoin, and so much more. But more importantly, they've got the number one ranked automated investment tool, their robo-advisor. It takes the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio without having to pay a bunch of experts to do it. I really like SoFi. Y'all, I've tried, you name it, and I probably tried it, and I settled on SoFi and think you will like it as well. Cut through the jargon, make investing easier with SoFi. Visit SoFi.com slash Eric to learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open an account. That's SOFI.com slash Eric. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member Fin. Hi there, it's Eric Erickson here. You know, you can subscribe to the daily show notes and get all the links to the stuff that I'm talking about. If you text the word show to 33777, you get the podcast, you get the live stream links, and at the bottom, you get the link to the uh, to the show notes. You should subscribe if you want all that extra stuff. Now, uh, I want to go take David's phone call here. David, welcome to the program. 
How are you, sir? Good. How are you? I'm good, sir. Thank you. Um, I was listening to the gentleman before you. They were wise beyond their years there. Uh, one of the points I was making to your screener was what uh, I've explained to several people I work with. Like, I recall Biden saying something to the effect of the biggest company in the United States made $2 trillion, and a lot of people buy into that. They said, well, this company made $2 trillion. No, no, no. That's if they sold all their stock on paper. That's what they're worth, not what they do in sales. It's a totally right. different ballgame between what their worth is and what they sell. And on top of that, there's a couple of the points I made to them. I said, do you understand also that a portion of their profits go to the stockholders? You understand it, right? Mm hmm? Uh, yeah, okay, yes. And one of the points I wanted to make, and I'll, I'll hang up after this, was a lot of also the audience kids don't understand when they see on their check stuff, Social Security, 6.2% or whatever it is now. I said, you understand every company has to match that penny for penny, dollar for dollar, right? Mm hmm? Anyway, just want to share that with you. Yeah, look, more David, I, I appreciate it. And I, I think a lot of people, when, when they hear all these Democrats talk about all this money, they, they also forget, um, as you mentioned, the gross and net. I mean, I make X amount of dollars a year. But when you get rid of the Social Security and when you get rid of the taxes and you get rid of the health care insurance payments and co-payments and all of that, I, I, I don't make that. Same way with the oil companies. Uh, oil companies make X number of dollars and they have to make payroll they got to build inventory and supplies and, and pay the refining capacitors and all that. And their net profit versus their gross income is a completely different ballgame. And the Democrats like to look at the gross income and say, oh, that's their profit. No, it's not. It's not. They willfully represent these things. Or, I mean, just take the tax on, on the billionaires, the wealth tax. They look at the Fortune 500 list and say, oh, Elon Musk, he's worth $200 billion. Well, on paper, yes, but he's not really. It's based on the value of all the stock he owns, but but he owns that stock. He hasn't sold that stock, uh, and if he hasn't sold that stock, he's not really worth that amount. Now, some businessmen, Elon Musk, I'm led to believe, is one of them, uh, he takes loans out based on his worth and he lives on those loans and therefore technically has no income. Uh, and, and when he pays the stock back, he can use some, some tax maneuvers to get out of a lot of taxes, but that's very different from saying he's actually worth the amount of money he is. And you know, with high interest rates now, a lot of these billionaires are no longer going to be able to do those, those uh, loan financing for income. In fact, when we come back, we got to spend a little bit of time on the economy because the federal reserve is meeting. Um, there are questions as to what they're going to do. I mentioned yesterday on raising interest rates, and there's some other data out there as well. You know, anecdotally, I mentioned I follow the housing market in certain parts of the country. I'm, I, I'm not in a position to be able to buy even land to build a house on, which is what I really want to do. Uh, but one day to have a vacation house somewhere, and I just keep tabs on the market now. I'm, I'm curious. It's amazing to me in the last couple of weeks the sudden flood of homes in these markets in the mountains and at the beach where there hasn't been much inventory available, suddenly more and more is coming available. And also um, more and more of it is staying on the market. It's not getting snapped up quickly. Even the houses right on the beach or, or with the mountain views down to Lake Burton um, where I've been looking up in North Georgia. 
it's it, something is going on in the market now and there's some data out there that suggests the housing bubble is beginning to burst values are starting to come down and people are starting to realize that the good times really have come to an end under joe biden one reason the democrats realize what's coming is not going to be good for them and despite what they may say on tv i want to talk about that as well the things they say versus the things that are hi there it is Eric Erickson here across the nation from my flagship station, WSB in Atlanta, Georgia. Glad to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I, I do want to talk about the economy. I'm waiting on some headlines, though, I, so I'm going to move on, and, and we will circle back to that situation here in a little bit. I, so I got I to gotta talk to you. Um Particularly if you're a Democrat, yeah, I, I got a I got a funny email yesterday. It actually made me laugh. Somebody he said, "You're just you're telling the Democrats how to win." I'm stupid, and even I know that's what you're doing. <laughs> you know, uh, the the brilliance here is that I can tell the Democrats what they're doing wrong. I can diagnose the problem. I've been in politics for years. They're not going to listen to me, uh, which actually makes it even funnier. You, you know what they must do, and they will not do it. What they must do is they must be more Republican. They must drill for oil and cut taxes, fix the economy, stop all the spending. They're not going to do all that stuff, and that's the stuff that the voters want right now. But um, this is – I'm, I'm inspired to talk to you about this. I've got to give Jill Lawrence credit uh, for this uh, based on a, a tweet I saw from her, Jill Lawrence – is a columnist at USA Today. Um, she is a progressive. She writes for Creator Syndicate. Um, I'm pulling up her LinkedIn here. Uh, yep, she's been a columnist at USA Today for six years. Um, she's worked for National Journal. She's worked for the Daily Beast. Uh, she's a liberal. She's a lib. And I saw this tweet from her as a member of the media. It says, oh, look at this. The Democrats, they're hanging on. They're, hey, they're, they're still in the game. They're still in the game, she said. Well, on paper, on paper, the Democrats are still in the game. And, you know, it is true. One of the things the Democrats have done that's actually smart, you and I may not like it, but it's smart. The Democrats are playing in the Republican primary and they're trying to elevate the worst possible candidates so that those guys get the nomination. And they think if they can get those people the nomination, they have a good shot. So, for example, um, in Colorado, you've got one Republican running in Colorado. I forget the guy's name, but the Democrats are actually running uh, ads attacking the guy, claiming he's too conservative. Um hoping that Republican voters will be so stupid they'll vote for the guy. They did this with Mastriano in Pennsylvania as well. They spent about a million, Mastriano spent like $30,000 on advertisements. The Democrats spent a million dollars to get the guy the nomination. And surprise, he's within four points of the Democrats now. You're also hearing this from the Democrats. that Oh, all these Republicans, they're insurrectionists. They all, they're, they're election truthers. Well, you know, a lot of these people, they're getting nominations in uncontested races where the Democrats have no chance. But then there are some, like, for example, Adam Laxalt in uh, Nevada, who I think they're just candidates who go through the motions to tell Trump voters what they want to hear to keep them off their back. 
and they get the nomination. And it's not like they're going to vote to uh, overturn the next election, but that's what the Democrats want you to believe. The problem here is pretty simple. Doom is upon the Democrats. Republicans are notorious for picking terrible candidates in years where they could sweep. Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania should be running away with it, uh, and he has horrible unfavorables with independent voters. Something I told you was going to happen. He can still win, though. Herschel Walker in Georgia uh, has just a a, a big bag of opposition research that's going to be dumped out on him, and it's going to hurt him, but he probably can still win. That's how bad it is for Democrats. This is the the most popular Republicans have ever been in the generic ballot. That's not me. That's CNN's data reporter, Harriet. And, and I want to play you this audio I played from the first hour. It's very important you hear this from him. And wh- how does President Biden's performance rate? Awful. I mean, I knew that was the answer. The answer is awful. I mean, you know, I'll compare it to Carter at this point, his presidency, right? Look at the disapproval rating Joe Biden has on inflation right now. It's over 70 percent. Carter, Carter was not even there at this point in mid-1978. When you're doing worse than Jimmy Carter's doing in the minds of Americans on inflation, you know that they're holding you responsible for the conditions that are currently on the ground that are hurting Americans in their pocketbooks. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. That's a problem. It's uh, and the Democrats that they can't seem to process how bad the environment is for them right now. Here's one more clip from Harriet and from CNN from the other day. I played this clip. Uh, you got to you got to understand this. You got to understand what the Democrats are dealing with right now. I took the best Republican positions on the generic congressional ballot at this point in midterm cycles since 1938. That generic ballot basically has. Uh, would you vote for the generic Republican or generic Democrat in your district? And guess what? Since 1938, the Republican two-point lead on the generic congressional ballot is the best position for Republicans at this point in any midterm cycle in over 80 years. It beats 2010 when Republicans were up a point. It beats 14, 2002, 1998, where Democrats led by a point. And in all of those four prior examples that make this list of the top five, look at that. Who won a majority? It was the Republicans who won a majority. Now, of course, the election is not being held tomorrow, and we'll see. Sometimes history isn't always prologue. But, but my estimate for the 2023 House makeup, if the election were held today, which again, it isn't. We still have five months, five months from tomorrow, would be Republicans 236 seats to 241 seats, Democrats 194 to 199. That's based off of a formula of seat-to-seat race ratings from both the Cook Political Report and Inside Elections. You got to understand that. You got to hear it. You got to digest it. What's going on right now with Democrats is wish casting. Y'all, I've been in this. I got my start in television at the end of 2009 on CNN I was there until 2013, and then I went over to Fox. I was there in 2012, knowing Mitt Romney was going to lose. And here's the thing that happens with you on your own side, and and you need to know this. When you know that your own side is going to lose, 
it's hard to say it because everyone comes after you. And, and you may be wrong. Look, I, I thought Trump was going to lose in 2016. And to this day, despite endorsing him, despite having his family on the show, despite having the vice president on the show, despite being on the campaign trail for him, despite doing all of these things, the amount of hate mail I still get that you just hate Donald Trump, you're always never Trump. You get it. Or the number of people say, well, why should I believe you? You thought he couldn't win in 2016. Yep, you get him wrong on occasion. But typically, I've gotten it right. 2018, had a lot of you who were mad at me saying the Republicans were going to get wiped out. You got 2016 wrong, buddy. You're going to get this wrong too. No, 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 no. All the historic trends. 2014, I was telling Democrats that in Georgia, I was telling the Democrats they were ahead in all the polling in Georgia, and I was telling them, you're going to lose. I'm sorry. I realize you think that uh, Jason Carter and, and Michelle Nunn are going to win, but they're not. They're going to lose, and the Democrats would call me furiously. It's like, look, I, I know how to read the trends. I get them wrong on occasion, but I know how to read the trends. I know how to read the trends, and so do the Democrats. And right now they're wish-casting. It's, it's a familiar pattern you see where they, they don't say that the Democrats are going to win. They say, oh, they got a chance. It's what you say when you can't bring yourself to say what you want to say because you're going to get hate mail from your own side. You know, I got to tell you, um, I have more and more overtime work to insulate myself away from uh, the different people I talk about on radio in large part because sometimes I have to criticize people I like. And then they want to call and, and, and pick a ball with me. They want to complain. And I, I, I'm, I know I'm right. I don't like to be the turd in the punch bowl. And sometimes you got to be, it's part of my job. I'm not here to be the propagandist. I'm here to tell you what I think. And you can disagree with me and that's fine. But I see what's going on with Democrats right now. They cannot accept the inevitable. And there are some who talk in ways, and if you know how, if you know, like I know how I talk, when I know doom is coming for my own side, the, the, the way, and I can hear it in some of the Democrats, well, they're still in the game, they're still in the game, yep, you're still in the game, because the game's not over, but the game's going to be over and you're going to lose. When, when you hear a Democrat say, oh, we're still in the game, yes, because the game ends on election day. The game is still going on and you can't drop out of the game. You can't just throw up your hands and say, oh, I quit. No, you can't do that. You're still in the game until election day and then you lose. When you hear someone, Republican or Democrat, say their side is still in the game, that's code for we're going to get our butt kicked. But there's something different this time with some of the Democrats, they have within their bubble uh, fundamentally philosophically convinced themselves that they're going to win because of the outrage over January 6th or because of Trump hatred. And these people are freaking delusional. Most Americans don't care about Donald Trump right now. They care about gas prices. Most Americans don't care about January 6th. They care about gas prices. And you can say it's a damning indictment on the American people that they don't care about the constitutional order. But many of the same people who make that case are also uh, delegitimizing the Senate and the Supreme Court for not getting their way. They don't care about the constitutional order either. They're just trying to find a way to win. And the way the Democrats have decided they're going to win is to generate opposition against Republicans and Donald Trump, and that did not help them in Virginia. I mean, here's the bitter truth. 
In 2006, I was not a paid TV contributor, but I was on TV a lot in 2006. I, I did some Fox and some CNN. I even did some MSNBC. They hadn't completely gone crazy in 2006. They were starting to. And I did a lot of radio interviews. And in 2006, that was George Bush was president. There were a bunch of indictments of Republicans. Uh, it was bad. And I, I mean, I was, I was the Republican who was going on TV and radio and saying, listen, we're still in the game. <laughs> yeah, the odds are against us, but will voters really want Nancy Pelosi? Yes, the answer. I knew it at the time. Yes. And as we got closer to the election, it was more and more obvious. It's like, look. History's against the Republicans. There will be some bad Democrats who win, but there will be some bad Republicans who still win because they've campaigned hard. It all comes down to turnout, don't you know? I mean, they're just, they're the things you say. They become the punchlines of politics and, and the, the idiomatic expressions of politics. But you just kind of know. And if you don't know, you don't know politics or, or you're, you're too into your tribalism to see what's going on. I have lived through the wipeouts of Republicans on radio. I, I have. 2018, I was trying to prepare my audience for a loss. 2020, I was trying to prepare my audience for a loss. In fact, I actually thought the Republicans were going to do worse at the congressional level than they did. They wound up doing okay at the, at the state and, and congressional level. It was just the presidency where they did bad because people were just tired of Trump. They thought they could go back to normal with Biden. Ha <laughs> ha, suckers. But 2018, trying to tell my own side, it's like, ah, you know, I mean, history's against the party that controls the White House. You just got to prepare yourself. You think that there's no way voters are going to want to go with the, these wackadoo liberals. Well, when voters hate the party in the White House, they don't care about the other side. They hate you. They're not looking at the other side. They'll look at the other side. There'll be a backlash against them. We're seeing that backlash now. The backlash is coming against the Democrats. The, the people are fed up with the Democrats. They're, they're ready to get rid of the wackadoos. But here's the reality for the Democrats. You can tell yourself you're still in the game. You can tell yourself the Republicans are picking bad candidates. You can tell yourself these Republican candidates are terrible. They're not going to be good. The problem is not the Republicans. The problem is Joe Biden and the Democrats. And everyone can fluff you up and pat you on the head and tell you it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. Doom is coming for you. You might as well start figuring out how you can start messaging for 2024 because you're done for 2022. Yeah. Someone will pull that out if something happens and tell me how wrong I was. But y'all, I mean, I know what a landslide looks like. And I know what a wave looks like. And one is upon us. We know what else is upon us. Time for me to tell you about the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. Wonderful transitioning here. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm, listen, uh, you want to clean the air after the election, Democrats? You're ready to clean the air and reboot and regroup for 2024? Get an Eden Pure Thunderstorm. It can't take away your losses, but it can take away the stinky odors that come after your losses. It can take away uh, the pollen, the mildew, the gloom, the doom, and the despair, maybe, possibly. All you got to do is go get three of them right now for less than $200 at EdenPureDeals.com. When you go to EdenPureDeals.com, you will see a discount code box on the front of the website. You Put in Eric3, E-R-I-C-K-3, and you will be transported into the page for the Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack, where you'll see individually they're all over $100. But if you order through my discount code Eric3, you get three of them for less than $200, and you save $200. 
and you get free shipping at EdenPureDeals.com. You clean the air, you get rid of the, the stuff that's in the air. They eliminate the odors, the pet odors, the smoke odors, the stinky odors, the musty odors. That's why I keep one in my suitcase when I travel. It's EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3. You get three of them for less than $200. You're saving $200, and you get free shipping. Hi there. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let me go to Bernie. Welcome to the program, Bernie. How are you? Good afternoon. How you doing? Great. Great. I, I basically got two things. Uh, one is, I'm curious, how many uh, states like California and New York that are run by the Democrats have also cut their gas taxes to help us out? Very few. And, you know, because you know, I know Florida has, and of yeah. course we know Georgia has. Right. A, a number of Republican states have. There have been a couple. I think Illinois is one of the ones that has. And now Biden is contemplating a, a federal yeah. tax holiday, well, but I don't think he has the control to do it. He'd have to take Congress yeah. do it. Yeah. Well, that, that's one. And two is, I worked, I, I'm tired of all the vilification of corporations. A corporation is simply the way a business is set up. Mm -hmm. I I work for the biggest restaurant chain in the the world. I I worked for McDonald's for 47 years. And I ran multiple, multiple, multiple restaurants from South Florida up to here. And I'm going to tell you, if you did, if they made five cents on a dollar, that was an incredible month. Mm-hmm. And you people know, don't understand The way it. we used to run our budgets was monthly. We had to you know, recycle it to see where we're at for the year. But basically, five cents on a dollar was a good profit. Yeah, look, I, I, I really do fundamentally believe a lot of people just don't understand how businesses work these days. They don't right. understand the difference between uh, gross income and net income. They don't understand profit margins. Well, they don't understand the, the payroll issues, the tax issues. I got to let you go there because I got less than a minute here. Uh, but it's well said, and uh, people don't understand it. They vilify corporations. Like, for example, there's this trend a couple of years ago where uh, people talk about companies being publicly traded. And the argument from leftists was that, well, because they're public companies, that means we own the company. No, that's not what it means at all. Uh, not, not at all what it means, and yet you couldn't convince them otherwise because they changed the definition of the word to fit what they wanted, and it didn't matter what the truth was. What mattered was their truth, and they had no idea what they were talking about. Absolutely flabbergasting. When we come back, we got to talk about the Federal Reserve and the economy.